Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Felix Castro. And I'm Ben Stoddard. I'm Brandon Rossbond. And I'm Mark Zelensky. Welcome to another episode of the Narrative Workshop. And we are so excited today because, well, we're talking about the next upcoming novel for Kings of War and... We happen to have Brandon Rossbond from Wing Tassar Publishing joining us today, who has the job of editing Ben's work. So, Brandon, that's got to be quite the treat. It's a lot of fun, Mark. I'm glad to be back on the show. It's always a pleasure being on Countercharge. It's been a great pleasure working with Ben, and, uh, you know, the books are always a fun stuff. Well, if they weren't, I don't think you'd be doing them, Brandon, so. Very true. Well, Steps to Deliverance was outstanding, so we keep uh, talking about the next book coming out and, you know, kind of what a difference in tone and everything else that this one is. So we're going to be diving into that here in the main topic section, but first, why don't we uh, kind of catch up with everybody? So Felix, what's happening down there in fabulous Dayton area? Not much. I'm actually feverishly working away getting my army ready for the Best of the Rest GT, which is this upcoming weekend, so obviously by the time the episode comes out, I've already participated in it. But uh, putting together lists and sending it off, the Saturday night of a GT you're actually already at, probably not the best idea for a sober and uh, well-thought-out army list. It's like, oh, I'll just throw a whole new horde of units that I haven't really used a whole lot for this tournament. So I'm currently painting those guys, so... Well, at least they'll be painted, so that's nice news. So I hear a rumor that some people are using and testing the new Easy Army Kings of War 3 site. So are are you one of those privileged few? I am not. Those are just for the folks for uh, Masters, us at the Peasants Tournament. Uh, we're not given that luxury. So <laughs> I cannot wait for that to come out. So actually, it's kind of got me kind of... You know, in a little bit of a funk with third, because, you know, as I say, it doesn't exist until it's on easyarmy.com. So, you know, I hate building pen and paper lists now. I am so spoiled by going right. click, 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 and just building it all up. So it's really kind of got me delayed. But I'm glad that it's being tested by some of the best Kings of War players out there. Right. Well, I mean, they do have good army lists, which is another website. Uh, it's not as good as Easy Army, <laughs> but it's definitely, if you're going to. You know, you get those, uh, you're at work and you're like, oh, I got this idea for an army. You're able to slap dash something pretty quickly together. But, uh, you know, it doesn't have the full functionality of Easy Army. I prefer Easy Army, but, you know, I at least have that to tide me over until I can figure out what the heck I'm doing when Easy Army comes out. Ben, how are you doing? Last time we talked to you, we uh, Felix and I were laughing that it was, uh, you know, nice and like warm here in Ohio and it you were like under mountains of snow. Now it's like seven degrees here. So I don't know how Felix is doing, but. I said we're up to a balmy 20 degrees at this point. So, you know, it's summertime weather for us. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So now are you busy working away on your Abyssal Army still? 
Yeah, I'm almost done with it. I've got a few more units to do. I think two more units, and then I'm going to call it done for now because if I have to keep painting that paint scheme on another unit, I something may go through a wall or you know shatter <laughs> into a couple pieces. Yeah, that's fair. I'm, I've, I've gotten to the saturation point with this army where I've got enough of everything that I pretty much need and not enough drive to put anything else that I may want into the army, so... But it will be done for Adepticon, and it will be 100% Mantic, and it will be preferred model count, so... Well, there you go. Yeah, shooting for that UK trip there, Ben? Well, one can dream, but I don't <laughs> Hey, come on now, Steve Hildrew is coming uh, from the UK here to America, so he never expected to do that, and here he comes which is fantastic for the countercharge community because Steve is on his way to invade America. You know, so, hey, I'll dare to dream with you, Ben. Well, he might be leaving a balder man, too, so he'll join the, the, the cool haircut club. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. If you have not heard about this, folks, we have uh, three people from countercharge uh, challenging three people from Mastercrafted at Adepticon uh, first round, so that should be great. Uh, Jesse is uh, matching up against uh, Jeremy, and then we have, uh, what, Kyle Prezelinski or Pretzel Twinkie uh, going up against uh, Steve Hildrew, and then we have uh, Jess going up against our own Rob Phaneuf, so that should be interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, Felix, how are you handicapping this so far? I don't know. Well, we'll ask Ben, because Ben has some definite opinions there, so... I'm just saying, I, I, I love the countercharge community. I think Mastercrafted plays more games, though. I'm just going to throw that out there. That is possible, but I don't know. Jeremy plays a lot, so and so does Steve. So does Rob. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think there's pretty much a toss-up there, so I think that that's pretty good. But the big challenge so far that I know of is uh, Kyle Pretzel Twinkie will be shaving off his beard, or not shaving it off, doing a buzz cut of his beard, and if Steve uh, Steve Hildrew wins, and if Kyle managed to pull the victory off, Steve Hildrew is going to do a buzz cut on his side, so of his hair on the top. So if you want uh, some hilarity, go ahead and read that out there in the uh, Countercharge Facebook group, and uh, you can find the challenges out there. Absolutely hilarious. Steve, I can't believe you did that, but absolutely unreal. I don't think that there's any type of big stakes like that on the matchup between Jesse and Jeremy, is there? Not, Not yet. There should be, though. And then Jess and Rob, I don't think there's any big stakes on that one either yet. So, Yeah, I don't think so. There's still time. There is still time. All right, Brandon, we'll put you in charge of that. Uh, you can try to uh, <laughs> get them both to uh, do something. That would be terrific. And speaking of Brandon, Brandon, what have you been up to lately? Uh, busy, busy, busy. Uh, by the time this episode goes live, my son will more than likely be born. So that's been uh, keeping me busy is prepping on Baby Watch. And uh, busy as always with editing. I've got Ben's novel that I've been working on. I have... The other Kings of War novel, Nature's Night, that um, got pushed back, that I'm hoping is in the second to last draft, if not the last draft. And I have an Antares novel I'm working on editing, as well as a Great Martian War novel I have to read with uh, by Scott Washburn, who I'm sure a couple of you are familiar with his work in the uh, anthology. Um, so it's been busy. But busy is a good thing because we're selling lots and lots of books. We actually uh, sold out of 
set, we've had to reprint Steps to Deliverance several times. So it's actually beyond yes. it being the best selling Kings of War novel out of the two we have. It's one of our best selling science fiction and fantasy novels. So we're we're doing really, really well. Yeah, that's a horrible problem to have there, Brandon. <laughs> so I'm glad that it's I had to go through multiple prints. That's fantastic. So is there a trilogy that's still being worked out out there that, uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, Mark Barber is a little over halfway done his sequel. It's going to be going in a little bit of a different direction from the first one, using some a couple of the same characters that I told him I'd like to see more from. And then the third novel is going to take the characters that he didn't use in the second novel and explore what's going on with them and kind of tie it all in a neat little bow. So he's hard at work at that. He got into a little bit of a writer's slump where he couldn't decide what he wanted to do. And then he just messaged me like, okay, I'm X amount of pages in. All right. I'm a quarter of the way in. I'm a third of the way in. All right. I'm halfway done. I'm like, all right, keep at it. Sounds good. Any word on uh Clint Werner's trilogy? Is I would love to talk about that yet? Or is that uh still, uh, you know, top secret? So um, we were supposed to do a uh, big announcement with Mantic, but I don't know what happened with the actual big announcement. So I'll just say it here because I've kind of dropped seeds of it. But um, yeah, Clint, Clint Warner is doing uh, the God War trilogy to set all the prequel stuff in place of the Mantic world. So he all that stuff that's been talked about in the rule books and all the lore that existed before we came into novels, he is going to talk about, he's going to write a full-fledged, novel series about the god war and what happened and how the world of panathor came to be he's almost done with the first novel he had to put it on the back burner to work on some other commitments but um i read a sample of it and it will not disappoint let me tell you if you guys are like lore juicy and you really want to know like how the world came to be all i can say is that the first i think it's the first opening chapter he sent me it delves into all of the the god names that you've known and seen in the rule books over the past few years. It's it's some good, good stuff. Fantastic. I can't wait for it. So we'll get into more detail in there when I know you can release some more information. But uh, very, very cool. I'm very excited. Any model painting or is it all baby all the time right now? Um, as of right now, it's pretty much all baby all the time. I, I tried to get some of my friends into uh, playing Kings of War, but it... I think I've said it before on countercharges. My area is such a small gaming community that it, I there's no there's no hobby shops in the area at all. So trying to find any type of community to play Kings of War is just non-existent. So I've been using my Basileans as D and D miniatures for the time being. I've used all my foot soldiers as a town guard in my D and D groups. Uh, town that we're stationed in right now. So they're getting use, uh, just not in Kings of War. All right. And are you and Vince still coming to Adepticon this year? So unfortunately, I will not be there. Uh, my sister will be there, though. She says that she's going to take a picture of me and the baby and hold it up for everybody to say that, that comes out of the booth to say, this is where he is. Sorry, he can't be here. <laughs> I am really disappointed I'm not going to be able to go to Adepticon because it's my favorite convention that we go to, but, you know, kind of for a good reason. So um, I look forward to going the next year. I am going to miss all you guys. I'm going to miss Mantic Night. I'm just going to miss talking to everybody in the community. But, you know, it's all for a good thing. And Vince and my sister Allie will be able to fill you guys in on what's going on. Maybe they can even uh, uh, FaceTime me in to uh, talk to people to answer questions. 
Oh, that'd be great. All right. Well, you know, talk to Allie. I need the world exclusive interview with Allie uh, to <laughs> be here on Countercharge. So, of course, I will be at Adepticon. So, uh, we'll we'll have to sit down with her and chat and get a little bit behind the scenes of the other key component there of Winged Hazar. So that'd be very exciting. Yeah, I mean, definitely stop by the vo- the booth. Vince and my sister would love to uh, talk to you guys, answer any questions, and uh, maybe give away some promotional material if we have. Fantastic. All right. And for myself, I'm in a bit of a slump this, uh, myself. Uh, what can I say? Work is killing me. It is unbelievable. So... I won't bore everybody with the details, but I want to hold a paintbrush so bad. I just haven't had time. I have still been working on when I can. I've got a shopping bag that I've got my starter set in, and I carry it around with me with my clippers and glue. And when I can, I'm putting together scarecrows and phantoms. So I'm still in the assembly stage because I'm going to put that stupid box together first. I was working on the slow grow challenge, and I did put together... A couple of these snow trolls, and I'm working on a clan lord. I've got them uh, most of the way finished, so I'm going to have to kick a little butt and have 500 points done by the end of February. At at this rate, it's not looking pretty good there. I'm not getting a whole lot of time to sit between college visits and everything else, so hopefully we'll get it all back on track. I'm just really looking forward to Adepticon. It's my favorite time of year. I just can't wait to go. It'll be great to see everybody and just kind of sit down and chat. It will be fantastic. And actually, uh, my daughter is flying into Chicago, so we'll have to pick her up. And she's actually bringing a friend to Adepticon for the first time on Saturday, so I will be giving them the full Adepticon tour. And, of course, we're going to have to be getting in a demo of Kings of War for her when she comes. So it would be great. I will run run them up to the Kings of War Hall, and we'll say hi to everybody while we're uh, touring Adepticon. So that will certainly be a highlight. So, but you're here to listen to us talk all about Ben's new upcoming novel, which we're so excited for drowned secrets. So, you know, Brandon, since you've been editing this, I'm going to turn over the counter charge airwaves to you and we'll go from there. Take it away, my friend. Well, thank you, sir. It would be my pleasure. Ben, why don't we start off by um, talking about, the synopsis, basically, of uh, Drowned Secrets, for those that don't really know what the novel's about. Sure. Um, so Drowned Secrets, uh, it revolves around one main character whose name is Ashal. Uh, she's a naiad who's the daughter of a trident realm noble who's been sent to the Golden Horn at the first part of the book as an envoy to negotiate the Basilian's hold on the passage between the High Sea of Suan and the Infant Sea. And while she's there, tragedy strikes, and Ashal is forced to flee with her lone guard, Magdalene, and she swears vengeance uh, for the betrayal that she suffered there. So after the, the events of the first part, there's the, the prologue of the book. You flash forward 10 years, and Ashal has grown up um, on land, and she hasn't gone back to the Trident Realm. The majority of the events in the story take place one year after the Edge of the Abyss campaign, and she references events that occurred during that time. But this entire 10 years since uh, since tra- the tragedy at the Golden Horn, she's been an outcast of the Trident Realm and has been plotting her revenge the entire time. Magdalene has been with her there and has been gathering information on those that have wronged them. I, I should also point out that Magdalene is a placoderm. He's not another naiad, um, as we found out that all naiads are female and Magdalene is absolutely a placoderm and therefore can be male. Beyond that, the story follows a shawl 
as she begins her quest for vengeance. Now, this is a bit of a darker story than Steps to Deliverance, and it explores the more neutral gray area of several cultures within Panathor. Uh, in this story, not everything is as it first seems. The story starts in one location, and then there will be hints of different directions that the story might go. But just know that this story might not go the way that you expect it to. Um, I obviously don't want to give away too much, and even saying what all factions are included in this story might reveal more than we may want to do at this time. But suffice it to say that uh, while this is a darker story, it isn't on the level of like Games of Thrones level of dark and twisty, but it also doesn't really shy away from some of the potentially darker implications of a world such as Panathor is. A couple things to unpack there that uh, I want to talk about. First of all is, yes, the Nyad thing. That was uh, actually something that threw both of us for a loop. Is It, it never was explicitly stated in anywhere that the Nyads were female. Now, I thought about it, and I'm like, you know, we should have kind of realized that because in history and fantasy, Nyads are canonically female but it's just something that wasn't really addressed because there are the placoderm models like i think you and i both assumed that there were mm -hmm. males included in that and that's something that you know you wouldn't know unless you expanded upon the lore so i think that's like a good thing of why a story fo focused on the trident realm you see the details that aren't explicitly stated that we are now explicitly stating we are stating that all naiads are female so that way there is no room for error and, and it was an interesting thing because it doesn't explicitly state it in the second edition rule book. And in fact, we I even pointed this out to you that in the the anthology, the the main character in the Trident Realm one that CL Werner, I think, was the one that wrote it even, uh, was actually a male naiad. And just because that hadn't been explicitly stated until the and as as I was writing this and as we were editing it, they brought out the third edition rule book. And it's and I believe it does state in there explicitly that this is an all female race, but it's only like a one line in there, uh, which had a little bit of a, it caused us to scramble a little bit with the story and had to make a few changes there at the last minute. At least a nice thing is <laughs> control, find and looking yes. at he being able to change it all to she because mm. not too many main male characters. It's true. But, yeah, um, so Shaw was always a female. That was that was one small mercy that we had is that she was always <laughs> she was always a female. <laughs> Which is um, something actually we can I guess we can kind of do a little behind the scenes thing is that the parental figure that you originally had for a shawl was male. Yes, and then that was one of the bigger changes that we made is that we had to change it to a female. And um, I guess the question that I want to ask you that actually we didn't really discuss in editing. How much did that change your vision of the novel from changing it from a male to a female without giving away extensive amounts of spoilers? No, yeah, that makes sense. Um, honestly, it kind of shifted my perspective on uh, a certain the perspective of the Nyad culture in general. Uh, in particular, it, it brought up some interesting circumstances that not trying to be political or anything along those lines that uh, might be construed that way through a modern lens. But in reality, it, it didn't change a whole lot because the, the parent figure for a shawl, her, her mother was always going to be a, a, a strong uh, leader 
and uh, warrior at the same time. That was just an integral part of her character. And um, the the interesting thing was I didn't even have to change the name because it was that it was that ambiguous of a name that it, it worked for either a male or a female. Uh, and so we didn't even have to really change that even. Uh, so it, it actually worked out really well in the fact that honestly, that didn't affect the course of the story at all. But it did allow for some interesting perspectives to be taken up. Right. It even helps to parallel things a little bit. Again, I have to word this without spoilers, but uh, yeah. there's a part that Ashal gets separated from her mother and she has to rely more on Magdalene and he becomes a parental figure to her, if not always having been a parental figure to her. And I think having that comparison of female to male also helps balance that out a little bit instead of just two male figures in her life. It, it actually does. I think you make a very valid point there. One that I actually hadn't even considered, just it kind of fell into that. So, Well, that in itself, um, Magdalene's an interesting character because uh, there aren't too many placoderm models, to my memory. I think before version three, there was just a heroic character. And then were there, were there placoderm models in version two, or was that just a version mm-hmm. three thing? Nope, there's actually to... To this point, I still don't think we have official placoderm models even just, announced. Yet. Just Hector. Yeah, yeah just Hector. So, I mean, that's another thing that we're, we're, we're digging deeper into the lore and we're showing that, you know, the Trident Realm forces aren't just naiads and other sea creatures, but there are the male equivalent, the placoderms, which we've, you know, taken from just a one hero character in the game. Uh, with lore existing for their race, but now we've expanded to kind of show what more placoderms might look like and might act like. Yes, that was a fun thing that I was I was glad that they uh, that Mantic was okay with my descriptions and kind of how how the placoderms, at least in Ashal's home area, how they interacted and what kind of culture they had. That was a lot of fun to write up uh, that whole portion. Now, one thing I've always said about doing these novels is. Mantic is a great, great company to work with. The guys have been very, Matt Gilbert and Rob Berman have been very great about answering all questions. They, they're they very good about getting back to us in a very timely man, manner. They're good about giving us, you know, free reign to do what we want with these stories within their world. And you having written, you know, stories in the community and now transitioning to that professional level where you're working directly with Mantic to help shape their universe what was your how did you feel what did you what was your experience coming out of this working directly with mantic it was actually a really uh it was very interesting experience because most of my uh well most of my experience with writing and all that kind of stuff is either usually researched and academic based or it's just been me creating things on my own and so having to work with another person's ip was very uh was very interesting and at first it was kind of it was kind of rough for me at first because I didn't know what things I had permissions to work with, what things I had to constrain myself with. But being able to at first, I communicated to them through you and Vince, just sending questions to you. You'd forward it on to them and then they'd come back. But then um, after that, when I proposed the idea for for some other things for an additional book after this one, that's when I really got to sit down uh, with Matt and just talk about all of these things and see just how surprisingly open and willing they are to work with uh, with the with the authors. 
and give them details and give them ideas. It was really fun because when I was sitting down there and I actually had a phone conversation with Matt, I would feed him ideas and then he would come back with new ideas saying, oh, I really like that. Why don't you think about adding this aspect to it, which was really interesting and showed the level of investment that uh, the Mantic has in their lore. They want it to, to be developed. They want to work with the authors and they're willing to communicate, give and take. And it was a very, uh, it was a very interesting and pretty rewarding experience writing this book and being able to submit ideas that I had about different creatures within the world and different races and different cultures and how they might interact and getting the feedback from them. Then it was never harsh or demeaning in any way. It was always, well, this is the idea that we have. This might fit within this realm or that might fit within this niche or, you know, that's a great idea. We might consider adopting that uh, wholly. And just different things like that, that they're obviously very open about uh, their lore and about what's available. Right. And that's that's one of the reasons why I was so adamant about finding, you know, somebody in the community that's done writing that we wanted to publish for a full length novel. Because, you know, it it's people like you and the people in the narrative workshop that's helped shape the early goings of stories and generated interest. And so now you get to see it, what you started doing taking it to a whole nother level professionally and now saying what you have written is canon this is lore these ideas that you've had these characters you've created this truly exists in the mantic universe and that was always the goal you know giving back to the community helping that to make it all once so that way we have one shared shaped universe and mantic is really really great about that and i can't say enough where i've worked with several other companies doing this and uh they're really tremendous about making sure their lore comes off as good as possible, working with the authors and us as much as possible. One other thing I'd like to add to that, you talk about how they like making things canon in that. I, one thing that Mark started with Steps to Deliverance and that I've continued in, in my story as well is that reaching out to the community in speaking on this in a little segue is reaching out to the community and finding prominent fictional characters that have been invented by players in the community and inserting those into the novels. Uh, I believe in Steps to Deliverance, we had Skullface, and I can't remember if we had another reference in there. I think we had one more in there that I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, off the top of my head. Um, and in mine, we have uh, our very own Billy Smiths from Countercharge fame and from his painting, his Dwarven fame. Uh, we've got some of his uh, lore inserted in there, too, which is a great thing that Mantic allows its authors to do. Take, take things like that from the community and make them, this actually exists within this world now. It's not just something you made up for your army, but it's actually something that's there. Right, and I've actually got a list of community nods that I'm going to try to seed in throughout the novels, and uh, King Billiam was on my list, so I'm glad you were able to tick that one off. But uh, <laughs> look forward to references to uh, the Grifficorn, the Great Khan, Sweaty Gigante, and if I can somehow work it in Pizza Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Or profit of the sacred pie. I'm not sure if I can make it work. I'll find a way to do it. But, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was that? Uh, you missed Blaster there. Blaster? Yeah, I will add Blaster. And Felix, what did you say? I said halflings. I said, I said, halflings. Yes. The, well, the pro profit of the sacred pie. Sacred pie. Halflings. can work. I'll make a note of that. And you know, listeners, if you guys have any, know any like prominent 
members in your community that, you know, people talk about, or if you want to just see a nod to them, you know, send, drop me an email or shoot me a message on Facebook, because I'm always, I'm all about giving back to this community that has shaped this. Without you guys, this wouldn't exist. But anyway, that's a whole nother sidetrack. Um, <laughs> back to the novel. Ben, one thing I do want to talk about that is really interesting is in Mantic's world, in every world in general, you know, you have the good factions and you have the bad factions. But in this world, we also have the neutral factions. And, you know, in, at first looking at this, I'm tr- I was trying to think, well, how are we going to make the neutral factions work? I mean, there's obviously going to be they're going to pick a side and that's what side they're going to be for that novel. And that'll shape the perspective a little bit. But then at the same token, you worry like so if you have a neutral faction that appears as on the good side and then they just keep appearing on the good side. Are they ever going to appear on the bad side? You start getting shifts in your headcanon of what the neutrality is. But with this story, so the Trident Realm forces are neutral. And you've really helped navigate that gray area where Ashal and Magdalene are characters you want to root for. They're good, strong characters who they're, you know, trying to survive in this world. And you, you, the story makes you want to see them succeed. But there are things that happen that happen to them and things that they do that teeter on that gray area you're like ooh, that was not a good decision I, oh god that that borders like bad guy decision but it's not bad through their perspective they might do things to people who are quote-unquote good guys but in their perspective and in their actions they're justified because of their story so i, I really think you hammered one of the strongest points of this novel is that you hammered home the quality of gray and how to divide the line of a neutral force yeah no i i I tried to keep in my idea that everybody's the hero of their own story and everybody that you don't like in your own story is the villain for you that was that was definitely one of the main things that i wanted to get in there because i think you're right i think a lot of the times we see oh well these guys are kind of the less good guys but they're just that's what they are they're either less good or less evil and it never really there's that that's something that oftentimes will happen in fantasy stories is that you don't have that area where there are definitely good guys in the world and there's definitely evil people in the world but there's never that like you said that that moral gray area where it really is a matter of perspective and taking that and shaping a story around that perspective was was a fun challenge for me in this story. And I did really enjoy writing characters that weren't constrained by what we would consider traditional heroic values, um, but were definitely characters that you you wanted to like and making them characters that you could relate to, even though they are, you know, these fish creatures kind of thing was actually something that. I feel really good about the characters that I created for it. And I think that uh, when you, when the readers read it, that I hope they'll have that connection with them as well. But as you said, they are a neutral force, which means they can end up on different sides of the battle than what you would normally abs- subscribe to with a heroic character. Now, segueing in, from that, one of the counterparts of that. And it's something that you and Mark have both explored in your novels. Mark Barber, that is, is about I'm going to try to keep this as spoiler free as possible. Uh, <laughs> the Basileans have always, you know, when I got into reading about the lore and reading about the factions, I saw the Basileans as the shining, holy good guys. And 
canonically and all about the lore, the bulk of their faction, all of what they are, are good guys. They are, if you're looking at the compass, the moral compass of the world of Panathor, they are the good guys of the universe. But in both you and Mark's novels, you've both questioned if everybody is truly good. Do the ends justify the means? Like there, there are there are grays within that good, and it's a very interesting take. And I also I want to make a note about it because I did get a comment from one of the test readers uh, about are we going to be seeing this consistently with Basileia kind of having bad guys in it and i wanted to just address that the while your novel does also take an interesting look at some of the figures within basileia it i think i, I think that's going to be like it just happened to be the common thread between the two novels and that's something that yeah, i think you guys talked about is i think you mark barbara and mark DeSantis. i think i was on a call with all three of you we're looking at some of the grayer aspects just to explore a common thread between your novels. But even though they are the good guys, like with Mark Barber's novel, he had some people being tempted with your novel. You have some people just on the wrong side of the battle and that's how it ends up. But it's interesting to see how good is not, is, is always subjective, even though there is the good guys. What do those good guys look like from an angle that's outside of their own. I, like you said, everybody's a hero in their own story. So what do the quote-unquote true heroes look like from a different perspective? It gives you a different take on it. While they still might be good, do the ends justify the means of their actions? And I would like to add a note with that, in especially in Drowned Secrets, making a point about Steps to Deliverance is the good guys are... Basileans, and there are, but when you look at something with uh, unit names such as Dictator and uh, the Hegemony, and the, the, those aren't usually associated with good guy things, especially historically speaking. Um, those are interesting things to put, but I would like to point out that in, in Steps to Deliverance, the good guys are Basileans. Right. They, they come through and they do all those the good things. And in my story, the Basileans are being seen through the lens of a group of people that the Basileans have fought against. And they've and anytime there's war and fighting and all that kind of stuff, there's going to be differences in perception that are going to show that. And that's one of the big things about Drowned Secrets is you have to remember that this is being seen through a lens outside of the good guys. Um, the whole story is being seen outside of that of that focusing point of that these guys are not Basileans allies. They're not even, Bas they're not Basileans and they're not their allies. They're people that have ended up on the opposite side of Basileans, paladins and their angels, and they've been attacked by them. And so it isn't necessarily that uh, Drowned Secrets is trying to portray the darker aspects of the hegemony so much as it's trying to paint it as someone who's ended up at odds with Basileia and how they would perceive them was a large portion of what I was trying to show within Drowned Secrets. Right. I think it comes off great. I, I, I really like, cause in my eyes, I see, and I might be biased, who knows, but uh, I see the Basileans as one of the, the lead factions within Kings of War. I see them as the quote unquote heroes. 
And so that said, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see it through the lens of the Trident realm. I think it just makes the lore that much deeper to see them in that perspective and see them on the opposite side, especially when you just had a book where they are the good guys. I think it's a really cool perspective. And I think it's it's something that you know needs to be explored a little bit more is the good guys are good in their own story. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean they're good in every story. So I, I wanted to just say that's a great perspective that really helps to mm-hmm. further the lore. And you did a really good job of t- showing that. I hope I didn't come across as I was being defensive in that, because I think you bring up a, an excellent point in that Basilia is the good guys. They're what, you know, the definition, if you look up good guy, they're the first of the good factions that's introduced in the rule book. They are the ones that have literally, you know, gods fighting for them. And you can see that in the lore and all that kind of stuff. And they have one of the best good guys as far as Nias Celestis is, is concerned, where he is one of the just altruistic good guys in the game. I definitely don't want people to think that uh, Basileia is turning into a certain grim, dark Imperium of Man kind of thing. <laughs> and, and and that's definitely not the direction I was trying to go with Drowned Secrets. But I, I think the book does a good job of walking that line between uh, seeing what is perception and what is reality of the situation. Right. That's a big part of the book is not everything is how it seems. And there's a lot of things that happen that make you sit on the edge of your seat. I I've, I think I've mentioned this before in Character Church, but I go through editing with several different lenses. I go through with a reader's lens. I go through with a proofreading and grammatical uh, lens. And I go through with a lore lens. And from a reader's point of view, I was on the edge of my seat through most of it because there were things that I... I thought were going to happen that were completely different. And then there were some things that I'm like, I wonder if this is how this is going to go. And when it did, I was like, wow, that was really well done. There weren't any points. I, it, and you know, I, I might be biased being the editor, but I'm going to be honest here. I pick novels that I think have the, a great talent. I mean, you know, the, our livelihood's on the line with taking chances on these novels, so I'm not going to publish a novel that I don't think is good. So when I say that it had me on the edge of my seat and I really enjoyed reading it, I'm saying that legitimately I enjoyed reading it. These novels, I, I can't – once I start, I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm also the type of per, the reader who – I read the I start reading the first few chapters, and I'm just like, I need to see how this ends. So I flip to the last <laughs> page. I'm like, ah, okay. So I know how this is going to go for the rest of the story. Great. But – um. I, I really think that it's well-written and you did a good job with it. So it, it's got you on the edge of your seat on things that you're not sure how it's going to go. Twists of, is it going to go this way or is it going to go this way? And the suspense is very good in the novel. Well, thank you. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, as far as the darkness you were talking about, it, it is a little bit darker than um, Steps to Deliverance, but that's not a bad thing. Um, it's, as you said, it's not grim dark. It's not uh, Game of Thrones dark, but it, as a neutral faction, you know, you do explore a little bit of the the darker elements of it. It's interesting in the sense of that your novel doesn't follow the steps of a full army, but it follows individual characters. And one of the reasons why we try to stress for full armies is because we want to try to show off the breadth of Mantic's faction. But that said, your novel works great in that because you do address several different factions and you span the breadth of the factions i mean you with the 
there's one scene in particular. Magdalon has a uh, memory, and he recalls a certain fight. And it, you show the Trident Realms fighting underwater, one of the sea creatures, and you show the different units in the Trident Realm army. And you paint a picture of how each of them will look. You know, it's one of those things that it, you can see the battle unfolding. How did you choose, without, I guess, spoiling as much as you can, <laughs> how did you choose to portray what units you did? Like, especially with the forces of nature. I thought that was an interesting choice to include forces of nature because the Trident Realms used to be part of the forces of nature. And I think I made a note on that when we were doing edits. It's a nice little transition to show uh, what they once were and now what they are. Why did you, what made you pick to include forces of nature as a unit in this novel? And why did you pick the certain units you did? Yeah, this goes back to my earliest days of being a war gamer when I was playing in Warhammer and all that kind of stuff is I always had a story behind my army. And as I would paint units and models for that army, I would come up with stories as to where that unit had come from and why they wore the certain colors that I was painting them and all of that kind of stuff that came up to it. And I kind of took that experience and I transferred it to the novels. And I've always thought that, you know, as I build an army, what would be the purpose to bring these units together? Why are they all together? It's not enough to me that, you know, there's a commander and he enlisted men and they came in and he did all this kind of stuff. And there's your army kind of thing. But rather, what are the stories that include them? Why would they be all brought together? With the the memory is probably the safest uh, thing to talk about because it's something that's uh, almost in a, it, it's a part of the story that's kind of a breaking point in the story. And so, it's it gives some background on a shawl and on her family and on Magdalene um, and all of that kind of stuff. But it it addresses kind of that whole thing, because um, I know if I'm reading a story about a faction that I play, I want to see what that are, what that would look like on a battlefield so that it will help me imagine my games being something like that. And so that's how I approach that with the Trident Realm is I put there, I said, well, what would be a reason for the Trident Realm to be fighting. And this is one of the trickier ones because not all factions can attack the Trident Realm where they're underwater. And so it was kind of a, an interesting conundrum. I was like, why would they have need of armies underwater unless they're fighting either themselves, which could be possibly, but that doesn't seem to make sense, or if there was something else. And so we bring in that something else, and I think, and I thought to myself, what would be necessary to bring down an enemy like what is described in that section? Um, and then I went through the unit lists in the rule book and I picked out the things that I felt were the most likely to be used for such a situation that what would be useful for them. And I put those into the, into the battle array and I tried to imagine what that would look like in a battle and build on it like that, like I would from a game like perspective. And then switching to the force of nature that made more sense to me, especially with how I'd set up the characters of Ashal and Magdalene, where they wouldn't have necessarily had the support of the Trident Realm where they were at. How would they have, or how would an army come into play that would fight for the same purposes as them? And the forces of nature just made the most sense for where the story was going. That's pretty neat. Uh, it's nice to hear the like thought behind it. So 
how did the transition from writing short stories to novels, how easy or difficult was that? Because one of the things I've noticed is some authors can transition very easily. And you did a great job transitioning to the novel. Your novel was very well written. I didn't see any big holes or uh, errors in it. it. It flowed like you were a professional author. But there are some stories that come to me that they write a really good short story, but then their novel is they, they can't keep up the pace. So how did that transition feel to you? It felt pretty natural to me now, and this is not to kind of toot my own horn or anything like that. I My whole professional life revolves around stories, just from a different perspective. I have, I have a master's degree in literature, and so I've studied stories for a long, long time, ever since, you know, I started my undergraduate way back when. Um, and so I've had a lot of experience from the opposite side of the pages of the reading and putting together and analyzing what makes a good story. And one of my biggest influences that I've ever had is Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. And I've, I love reading through that. And if anybody wants a fascinating look at how stories develop, go look that up. It's, it's fascinating. That has contributed a lot to me writing and on the flip side of that, on a more, for lack of a better term, amateur side of it, I've been writing stories for my armies and trying to piece together ongoing narratives. That's always been my favorite thing is an ongoing narrative. And I've tried to piece that together. And I've literally written novels for my armies and for my D&D characters and for all of that kind of stuff that has helped contribute to that natural process. On top of that, I'm, I read a lot of professional and amateur blogs about storytelling things like dungeons dming how to be a good dm which is a large portion of storytelling and all that kind of stuff and it's been something that i just absorb on my own kind of thing and i'm sure a lot of people can relate to that i think a lot of people do that uh as far as transitioning from short stories to the novel thing it felt like a natural progression to go it was just widening it out and being able to add depth to the to the steps in between the high points of a story and building off of that. Right. And that's one thing I have to stress to people is uh, reading and just keep right, right, writing. If you ever want to publish anything, you know, not the first thing. The first thing you publish isn't always going to be your best thing ever written. You know, I tried writing, uh, publishing a version several I'm publishing a version of my novel several times before I came to the final draft. And it just, every time I, I finished a draft, I'm like, never going to get better. This is top of the game. I'm never going to write anything better. And then every time I would go back to it, I'd be like, nope, it's all crap. I got to start all over again. And, <laughs> you know, just because you get, if anybody ever gets rejected for publishing in any capacity, never stop writing. No. Just like, you know, you should never stop learning, you know, reading and writing in repetition of your favorite genres and your favorite authors that really helps to develop the craft a lot. I would say this is probably my seventh novel that I've actually written. Nobody will ever read the other six. I promise you they will never see them. And speaking of which, I have to burn my hard drive now. But definitely don't be discouraged if your first idea, especially there's always that saying, don't be afraid to kill your darling kind of thing. Don't don't be upset if your if your favorite story or your favorite idea gets shot down. It may not be the time for it. It may be that it was too close to you and you couldn't see the flaws in it. There could be a bunch of different things, but don't be afraid to move on to another idea and maybe come back to that other idea and try it again sometime later. But definitely don't be afraid to 
to, to step away from your favorite idea. I will say this drown secrets was not the book I thought I would publish first. <laughs> well, that's interesting. How did it, how did writing drown secrets compare to writing like uh, a novel for one of your D and D characters? Would, how did the world of Mantic compare to any other fantasy realm you might've written in? The biggest thing was the shift in perspective. Cause I've always been like the ultimate good guy. I always play a paladin in D&D. I always played the good guys uh, in Warhammer uh, or until I played the villains. And the reason I played the villains is so that we had somebody to fight against to be beaten, you know, or to be vanquished kind of thing. I always loved those stories of, you know, the shining knight in shining armor kind of thing. And so shifting my perspective to a little bit grungier of of a lens so that I saw the world not in black and white, but rather as different shades of gray as to what's good and what's bad. That was one of the biggest shifts for me in this. And actually, I think that's what helped me develop my characters better because they had to be more real. They had to make those unpopular decisions that were going to make the readers go, oh, I don't know if I like that. That makes me a little uncomfortable kind of thing. And that was that was something that really affected that writing process. That's great. As I've said, you know, the book came across really great. I, uh, I I think I said this also on Countercharge at one point is that if I didn't pick Basileans as my army, I wanted to pick Trident Realms second. So reading reading Basileans and then reading Trident Realm one novel to the next, I swear it's not bias. It's the way it came into me. It was a really cool read to read one and then the other. So the going from um, Steps of Deliverance to Drowned Secrets, both novels are really really great, and I, I hope that. Again, this is the start of what people are looking for as far as building lore. I had a blast working on the project. I think it's very well written. I think it's very, uh, the best word I can think of is poetic, the way the book goes from start to finish. Everything ties up in a, a neat bow while still leaving plenty of room for a sequel, which I know you are hard at work at. So I, I think people of all factions are going to find something to like about this if not just for the faction for the different lens than your typical like you said knight in shining armor book we were going at it in a different lens i think people who are playing the darker or even neutral factions will see this as like wow this is uh this gives me hope that i'm going to be able to see my faction in a different light because they're not the heroes so i think all in all it, it this helps span the breadths of novels that we have coming out and it helps to really further the lore from this tiny little minute details of are naiads male or female to what just happens like in uh, undersea battle like you said why do you have an army that fights undersea who's gonna fight you under the sea if you are under the sea so yeah. there's a lot of lore questions that i think were answered with this novel and i think some, somebody is going to find something to latch on to in this that's going to go that's great i really like that that's the hope and then uh felix i think that we had some uh questions come in through facebook if you want to uh take that on yeah actually we posted some questions to facebook and some very smart, intelligent gentleman named Felix Castro started off with the first question. <laughs> One, I basically, I'll skip over it because it was kind of covered as you guys were talking about collaboration with Mantic and, and the like earlier on the podcast. But my second question was, how much collaboration did you have between you know Mark Barber and the other uh, Wing Tussar authors uh, in terms of creating a cohesive and cogent world of Panathor? You know, there's a lot of guys, a lot of different ideas to not just include your guys' but Mantics. Like, how did you? I mean, how much communication did you have between all you guys to kind of make 
sense of a storyline. Uh, yeah, I know that uh, probably the biggest collaboration I had was with Mark Barber. He and I traded back back and forth manuscripts over the course, course of about three quarters of our books. Um, uh, we gave each other quite a bit of feedback regarding our stories, uh, but we're also very different in authorial styles. So that gave us two different perspectives to look at it, uh, being two rather different ends of the the, the spectrum of good guy and bad guy and neutral and what does this look like and where does the line sit with uh, that comfortable comfortableness that you have with a book. Um, and it was really good because we kind of pushed each other in different directions. He kind of checked me as far as, I don't know, this might be a little bit too far out there. And I was able to help him with being like, hey, maybe you should push this a little bit further or maybe you could take it in this direction and give each other suggestions. Um, I know that I had a conversation with Seal Werner over email and he gave me some good uh, good ideas as far as inspiration for uh, interactions between the different races in the Trident realm, which I'll get to in a later question. The biggest thing that we had was with Mark Barber and I was we were able to discuss over Basilea and how it could be represented in the stories. Um, one of the biggest things that we came to an agreement on is with a with an empire as big as Basilea, there is no way that there aren't shades of gray and brighter. Uh, examples of what is good and what is bad within that huge empire. I mean, they are the biggest collection of mankind. And if there's one thing that we know about mankind from all the stories and all the fantasy lores out there is that there is not a more inconsistent race. Um, and so working on how Basilia was going to be represented in our two novels was one thing that we had a lot of conversations Um I'll just leave it at this is that Mark's influence is definitely felt in my writings and I hope I was able to help him too. And that's basically, there was a lot of, there was a lot of talking and back and forth with at least, um, at least with Mark and at least some from uh, Mr. Werner as well. Cool. Anthony Ray Shields from Canada. His question was uh, what background did you use as a base to create the Trident realm society and culture? See, this is a fun one because I like referencing all the stuff that I, I use to kind of inspire how things would work. So I drew from different cultures around the world, as you do uh, with any story that you write where you're basing, you know, fantasy or sci-fi cultures off of something. You take something that's already happened as, a, as kind of a model for what it can be. I'll give you a more specific example for the placoderms. I drew a lot from Maori and Japanese uh, cultures in order to form the moral compass, especially for the main character, one of the main characters, Magdalene. Um, I pulled a lot of that, and I think you'll be able to see that as represented in the story. And uh, as I said before, C.L. Warner gave me the idea to pattern parts of the Trident realm culture as a whole, like the Trident Kings and all that, um, off of some 17th century British Empire, uh, in as much as how they interact between the various races. This, and I had sundry other fantasy influences from everything from Tolkien to uh, Redwall and whatever else in between, kind of thing that have kind of influenced a little bit. One thing that I really enjoy that I that I wish I have been able to put more into the story is I love if any of you have read the Redwall books, the descriptions of food. That's one of the main things about the Redwall series. And I wish I could have put more in that. But I did try to insert a few things here and there because to me, food is an important part of culture and it should be represented in those cultures when when you have the chance. And so there was bits of that as well that were thrown into it as well. Um 
Mainly that you say that because I, I now once you say that I can pick up on exactly which ones you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, like I've always hated the fact that dwarves ha- are always represented as either either they're Viking food, so it's all legs of lamb and you know giant tankards of mead and all that kind of stuff, or they're dry tack biscuits kind of thing for their for their trail rations. And I just I tried to put a little bit of a different spin, at least for the community. Uh, that is represented in the in in the book a little bit of a different spin on it it would make more sense where uh, I tried uh, they live by the sea so uh, why wouldn't they have some you know seafood influences and stuff like that and that's just little things that I try to insert into the story like that another uh, listener uh, Steve Steve heel heel um I don't know who that guy is uh, he asked how did you deal with trident Rome communications underwater yeah this was an interesting one that uh, that I wasn't sure how to approach at the very beginning um, at first I I thought about doing like a sign language thing but I couldn't do it justice. And it was kind of clunky and it was difficult to read at times and it worked in certain elements and I did keep aspects of that in the story, but it didn't, it didn't really work the way I wanted it to. And I felt like interactions would be kind of stilted and and a bit boring. And especially if I, in later installments of the story, have them underwater for a lot, mixing the hand motions and the communication together just would have, wouldn't have been able to to do it justice i feel like so the next thing i went to is i kind of went with the disney approach with a little mermaid just kind of ignored it for a little while but that also wasn't very satisfactory and so this kind of tied into how i started writing the way that the naiads and the placoderms and and anybody that's part of the trident realm that's above water speaks i i decided that the 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 intonation and pitch would sound differently to naiads and placoderms when they were on land as opposed to when they're in water. And so their language develops into like a sing-song kind of quality. And I try to represent that in the way that I write the the syntax and the word choice and the the rhythm and flow of all the way that the the Trident Realm people speak. They do it in kind of a sing-songy intonation kind of way. And they also say things in an odd arrangement so it sounds a little bit foreign and alien and the reason i did that is because it made sense kind of you know taking the approach of you know sirens but also things uh like whale songs and stuff like that where the pitch and the tone were what was really important and so and so i I tried to make it kind of a tonal language kind of think like mandarin and as such the longer the note the stronger the pitch the more it would carry through the water and as such when the naiads or placoderms speak above water their wording sounds strange as does their cadence because they're used to pushing sound through water vibrations through water with their with their sounds and they find the common tongue or whatever it is that everybody speaks above above water is uh, is too subtle in the fact that we just say words and you know we have slight variations in the way we say things but it's too subtle and so they naturally add syllables to their words and added words to their sentences in order to fit the rhythm that they are used to felix you've read the first little bit in fact you were one of them that one of the people that has commented on it about the the kind of alien sound the the accent that the naiads and placoderms have in the story Right. Yeah. And that was one thing when I, you know, a little bit I've read, I really, I appreciated. It was definitely, you know, we have a lot of things that, you know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to portray in writing something that's alien yet still 
you know, relatable enough that you don't completely mm-hmm. throw the reader out of the story, which I really appreciate that you're able to do that. So one thing I want to add is um, it, I always try to stress to authors to try to make their little mark to help uh, further the lore. And Ben's done a great job at that, even like the little words that they use for to, for common words. So like uh, Magdalene calls a shall. Ben, correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but uh, Lushawain, did I say it right? I, I pronounce it Lueshwin. There you but... go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like little things like that that really help add to the detail of the story. And, it, you know, they, these characters aren't talking like cavemen or they're not talking like, you know, as you see in a lot of tropes of like, what means this does, you know, it, it, they're not talking funny. They're talking where you can understand them, but there's just enough foreignness to their words that you're like, okay, that's th- not their first language, but they're able to communicate well enough. And there's even a couple of like little jokes you throw in about how the language barrier can kind of cross, even though they, they can speak the language. So I, I think that's one of the best written parts is that unique uh, language between the two. Language is all is another thing, kind of like food with me, where it's it's it, it's something that definitely defines a culture, the way that language is shared and the way that we communicate. And so I, I tried to to insert little tidbits that kind of helped round out the culture of the naiads and the and the placoderms and the trident realm in general, just because it felt like it needed something different. How would it be different for those people to speak like that? All right. Well, hey, one heck of a discussion, guys. Uh, Ben, we're going to definitely have to have you back a couple of times. Uh, One, you're going to have to do a pronunciation guide for us (laughs) when the novel comes out. Uh, Maybe tacked onto the end of a narrative workshop somewhere, and then we'll have to go into a full book club type discussion of the novel after everybody's had a chance to read it. So, very, very cool. That one will have a spoilers tag on it. So, but... uh, really really looking forward to this so well hey why don't we go ahead we'll slide into a commercial break we'll come back on the other side we'll do shout outs and we'll wrap up the show and welcome back all right felix any shout outs tonight i would say yes we still have uh the war kings gt in dayton ohio it's memorial day weekend so that's may 22nd 23rd i like to say you know, for those who like to have a more narrative portion of their armies, we still have the working hero that we get to have. It's a free hero that you get that goes along with your army. We've changed it up a little bit this year. Uh, actually, if I remember correctly, we're going to have each working gets an aura available, depending on... It's going to be a limited choice. There's not going to be all the special rules available for auras, but that's still more in the coming. But yeah, it's going to be uh, Springfield, Ohio, May 22nd and 23rd should be a great time if you still haven't signed up yet for adepticon clash of kings please do so i think we were at 45 players as of like the middle of february so there's still some time but it's it's running short so please if you can sign up for adepticon clash of kings ben any shout outs yeah, I just want to give a shout out to everybody that helped make Kings of War International Campaign Day. It was uh, well last weekend, and it was it was a rousing success. Big shout out to Steve Hildrew, Gaddafi, Mikhail, and Chris for helping me with that one. And also a shout out to our Iron Men that we had those crazy guys down in Argentina. Crazy, just crazy guys. Mad men. Mar- Mad men. Marcelo Osuna, Alex Bianchi, Nicholas Lovato. 
Rodrigo Natero, Emiliano Javier. Those guys were the guys from Argentina. And then I had one in my area that was Dave Knowles that uh, went all 25 hours of the campaign. They were posting pictures, talking smack on the web page or on the Facebook page. It was great. There was a lot of fun to be had, a lot of interesting stories that came out of it. And it seems like everybody had a really good time. So again, thanks to everybody who helped make that possibility. And also another shout out to Adepticon. Uh, I'd love to meet anybody who wants to come out or has any questions about the book that I can ask but without having to kill you kind of thing um, and all that kind of stuff. So um, love to see you at Adepticon. And uh, yeah, those are all I got. Fantastic. We'll have to do a special episode on the narrative uh, that developed through the story. So be very, very cool. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys had a great time. So unfortunately, I was out of town most of the time, but uh, I couldn't join in. But I was pleasantly surprised that it was such a rousing success. So uh, do you guys have plans for another one in the works yet? At present, no, but there will definitely be another one. We'll, uh, we don't know when. Uh, but at least within the year, I would imagine we should have at least one more. There you go. Well, hey, even if it's just an annual event, that is awesome. So very, very cool. And Brandon, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, any shout outs? Well, first of all, thank you, Mark. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. I, I really love coming on Counter Charge. Yes, yeah, stop by. If you're, at, if you're going to Adepticon, stop by the booth. Vince will be there with my sister, like I said. Um, ben said he was going to stop by the booth, so you can come and talk to him. Find him there if you're looking for him. Uh, a couple of our other authors, Craig Gallant, is going to be at the booth as well. He always stops by every year of uh, D6 Generation. So um, definitely make sure you stop by, say hello, check out a book. Vince will sell you whatever you're looking for. Um, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Winged Husser Publishing, as well as Zmok Books. That's Z-M-O-K. Uh, we got a lot of stuff coming out for Kings of War. We still have stuff working on for the sci-fi element of Mantic. Our other works, you know, we have Great Martian Wars, Beyond the Gates of Antares, as well as various science fiction and fantasy stuff. And I don't remember if I mentioned this on the last time I was on, but we do have Mantic Choose Your Own Adventure books coming out soon, too. Now, that's very, very exciting. And you know, you forgot to mention, and Vince will be very sad if I didn't mention it, but you have a full range of, like, historical stuff as well. I mean, which is the, the backbone of Wing Tassar as well. Yes, yeah, so that, my branch of the company is a sci-fi and fantasy. That's the one that, that's the reason why I'm the one that appears from the company on this podcast. But we also have an entire uh, half of our company dedicated to historical books so if you're looking for references if you're looking for painting guides if you're looking for uh, biographies we kind of run the gamut on different historical books from different time periods we actually just we specialize in polish history and we just put out a book on Pilsudski, who was like one of the first uh, big Polish leaders and helped establish Poland's independence. Uh, I was actually the latest historical book I've edited probably since the start of uh, our company. I helped my dad do a lot of history stuff in the beginning before we had any contracts with these other <laughs> companies. Um, but this was the first one that I, I've done in a long time. And it was a really interesting read. It was really interesting to learn about this character who I had no idea about. But now I know how to say his name, Pilsudski. So um, we run the gamut on a lot of stuff. If you're at Adepticon, go stop and talk to Vince. He will 
educate you on anything you want to know about, check out our website, wingedhusserpublishing.com. Our full catalog is available on there, so you can look at all the historical stuff, all the sci-fi stuff, and all the fantasy stuff. Thank you, Mark, for reminding me about that. No problem. And, uh, you know, hey, if you've got your Tales of Mantica book, you know, Vince might be able to sign that for you as well. So if you're a listener of the Narrative Workshop, you know of what I speak. So, And uh, speaking of books, now Ben's book right now is up for pre-order, and I think you're working on the final draft at the moment. So what's kind of our schedule? When when do you think we're all going to be able to get this in our hands? Uh, May. It should be out. In May. So one of the most one of the difficult thing about publishing is you see stuff for, you know, when you're following a big movie or something, you always see the news about, oh, this got pushed back and oh, this one got canceled. And there are a lot of unforeseen things that come up in the world of publishing from rewrites to edits to having to scrap something to just way too many submissions we have to try to get through. So there's a lot of we have. A publishing date when we plan to produce something and then inevitably something will happen there it gets pushed back so it's not like we're forgetting about any of our novels they're on the schedule to get published it's just all about how quickly i the one man show can get it all edited out so um ben's is scheduled for may that is when it should definitely be out i'm on the last draft i just have to get through my edits send it back to him and we're good to go um, and then we still have Nature's Night, which is by Mark DeSantis. I'm still working on getting that ready to go. And then we have a couple other um, Kings of War novels coming out through the year. Clint Werner's uh, God War first book. Um, I think James Dunbar's novel is going to be coming out this year. And then we have the reprint of First Strike, which is the Dead Zone novel. That should be coming out this year. The Last Hurrah, which is a... Dead Zone novel, that should be coming out later this year as well. We had to kind of push things back, but we're they're all in the works. I've got most of those manuscripts, the first drafts, back to me, so I just have to find time to edit it. So stay, uh, like, like I said, like us on Facebook and keep an eye on our website. We always post updates about when things will be coming out. And uh, like I said, we try to update people when things get pushed back. Oh, but also we do have the audiobook for Steps to Deliverance is in the works right now. The gentleman who does our audiobooks, Ray Greenley, he's in the process of recording it right now. He actually just went over all the pronunciations with both Mark Barber and uh, Matt Gilbert at uh, Mantic to make sure that everything he is saying is the correct pronunciation. So that should be out probably within the month. By the time this episode goes live, it should be out. And I think our audiobooks are usually 99 cents, but don't quote me on that. They're they're relatively inexpensive, and uh, it's nice if you got a long car drive to work or if you just want something to listen to when you need background noise. They're really great. Ray's a great audio artist. He uh, He's done most of our audiobooks. And then, like I said, we have Choose Your Own Adventure books, which we're still getting negotiated out but i think uh matt gilbert wrote the first one so we're and it was part of a kickstarter so we're reprinting that editing it a little bit and getting it ready to go to print so lots and lots and lots of stuff boy that is a lot for a one-man show (laughs) definitely and as vince always reminds me okay when he's on the show and that is he would really like you to go buy that from another store like Amazon or order it from Mantic or order it from your local bookstore or something like that. Of course you can get your counter charge discount over on the website, but you know, he would prefer that you went out and bought that actually at 
another location, uh, just because that really helps push the novels into the distribution channels and things like that. So if you're going to Barnes and Noble and stuff and trying to place your pre-order, that actually really, really helps you guys, right? Yes, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, we make the most money if you buy it directly from us, but it helps us out in the long run if people buy books from Barnes and Noble. That's really Barnes and Noble or uh, I forget the other big book chain, but any of those big chains that sell books, they when people buy it from them, they see that the demand for said book rises and thus the, the stores will start supplying more of them and that will help keep us on shelves instead of just having to say, hey, can you order this for us? Uh, I think like it, in my area, there's not a big cry for uh, science fiction and fantasy. So our stuff, I can't find on the shelves and I can't get them to stock. But if you go to like any of the three Barnes and Nobles in New York City, you can find all of our stuff on their shelves because they have a high science fiction and fantasy volume. So it, it just all depends on if people are looking to buy that stuff, they start carrying it in their stores. Exactly. So, hey, if you guys want to help Wing Tassar out, go ahead, find a Barnes & Noble or your local bookseller, or even if you have to do Amazon, The Evil Empire, you can go ahead and pick it up from there. But that will really definitely help them out. So very, very cool. All right. Well, hey, and uh, Brandon, we'll have to have you back on when we uh, do our book club version. So you'll finally be able to unload. It'll be, feel so good. It's always the hardest part when I'm on these is trying not to spoil things because I'm a spoiler fanatic about everything, movies, television, video games, you name it. I look up spoilers to spoil myself because I like to paint the picture in my head knowing what's coming. So keeping a tight lip on this show is very difficult to do. Well, we're glad that you really put in the effort. So it's uh, very, very nice and great for you to join us. So, And, of course, for myself, I'm going to give a shout-out to EasyArmy.com. As you heard earlier in the episode, yes, folks, it is coming. And, yes, hopefully you'll be able to see Blaster on the page. I sent all the updated artwork over there to Greg. So hopefully it'll be coming out soon enough, and I am just dying for it to come. So definitely. And I'm going to give another shout-out for Adepticon. Because you have to go. Uh, Steve Hildre will be there. Felix will be there. Ben will be there. Rob will be there. Jeremy will be there. Steve will be there. And we're even working on getting Alex Kuse to come to Adepticon. So we're going to have the uh, full house of Countercharge folks over there at Adepticon. And we cannot wait to see all of you. So it will be a very good time. I don't know how the ticket sales for Mantic Night are going, but certainly uh, try to join us there. That will be very fun. That reminds me, i got to buy my ticket before they sell out because, you know, Ronnie's talk is always a highlight. Uh, You get a free drink, and I believe that they're doing a swag bag again this year, and I think you're getting a $20 voucher in there, a uh, nice insulated cup, something like that, and, you know, some stuff that gets tossed in there from Ironheart Artisans, etc., It is always a good time. Don't go for the swag bag. Go for the community and uh, all the interactions and have a good time. Come back, toss back a few drinks with us, and uh, it will be a very, very good time. So I'm really looking forward to it. So, All right, that is it. Boy, nice episode. It's so good to be back here in the Narrative Workshop. And uh, Ben, why don't you go ahead and take us out? Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on... Countercharge. 
please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.